1: Good and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. We're so thrilled to be here with you on this morning, and uh, we're excited that we're, we believe that we have the fabulous Bonnie Yates coming joining us uh, again today. And uh, we've got another great guest that's coming up for you, Amy Gravino. Who's going to be talking with us. She's an yeah. autism consultant and she's the founder of an organization called Ascot, and so she's going to talk with us about that. So, um, I want to remind you that uh, the entire show today is meant to be interactive. We would love to hear from you, your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns. There are lots of ways for you to interact with us, and Traven's going to show you some of those ways while I remind you about our homepage, which is autism live.com and when you go there lots of videos to watch and lots of categories you can search them uh by by category you can search them by a name Um, you can search them by a question there are lots of different ways to do that you can chat with us on the bottom there's a chat uh button it says chat and if you click it it opens up a little window and you can type there and send that off, off to us, and it shows up here on my screen. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but you can also interact with us via YouTube and Facebook and all the other places that we are available. We love, love, love to hear from you. Um, I do like to remind you that uh, we have lots of experts that are on the show. And in fact, we're gonna have some great experts on the show today. I'm not one of them. Uh, <laughs> Like, we really don't want to mince words about that. I am a uh, a, a really proud mom. Uh, my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, and he's a miracle now and doing so well. And that is not because I was a good mom. That's because I lucked out and got the very best of uh, therapy and treatment from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And that's part of why I am so adamant now about making sure that you guys get information and inspiration to help you on this journey and to not feel as though you don't have options and you don't have resources because maybe you don't have enough let's be very clear about that but there are things out there and there are people out there who are working to help you on a daily basis and when i say you i'm talking about the autism community and that includes of course the individuals that are on the autism spectrum of course but also their parents Um, Their teachers, the people who work with them, their spouses, their girlfriends, their boyfriends, their cousins, right? I include all of those people in the autism community because I think we all need to be in this together. Um, We all have something different that we need, and we're going to see things from a very different perspective, absolutely. And we are not ever going to agree on everything, We're just not going to. And that makes sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you, too? But we do agree that individuals with autism need to be treated with dignity, that they have rights, and that they should be given the supports and services to help them to be able to achieve everything that they find meaningful in their life. Not the thing that we find meaningful, but what they find meaningful. Um, So I think we're all in agreement on that. And I do like to say, you know, let's hold hands. Let's get there together. Si se puede, right? So having said all of that, uh, we like to start Mondays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are these experts talking about? Why are they using these terms? Why are they putting us through this, right? Uh, um, But we need to know because it, it's like what stands between us and the progress a lot of the time. So, uh, but sometimes it costs you money to ask in the real time and say, well, I'm sorry, what? And it certainly costs you time. I'm sorry, what are you saying? And what does that mean? And what ramifications does that have for my child or for me? Right? That all sucks time. So we try to cover these terms. And first we give you an actual definition. And I like to make fun of the actual definitions, because I I roll that way. And then we give you a working definition, which often makes the experts scratch their heads and be like, what? Uh, But we try to give you some way to begin to understand whatever this thing is in your life, and why it's meaningful to you, and why you should take the time and energy to learn this term, right? How it's going to save you time and money, right? So that's what we do. That's what we're about here. And look, you can see today's jargon term today, the lovely acronym FAPE. And you will hear people say that, FAPE. And FAPE stands for, uh, it's F-A-P-E, so it stands for Free Appropriate Public Education. There it is. Free Appropriate Public Education, a term frequently referred to in IEPs uh... so that is what the actual definition is but let's move on to the working definition because there's not a whole lot to be made fun of you know i mean like we understand these words right free appropriate public education like this sort of it's like uh, okay but i don't really know what that translates to so uh... our working definition for FAPE, because this is the baseline of what you need to know it's what your child is legally entitled to in the united states Okay, so let's back it up for a little history lesson here, although i got to get myself a tissue, and I'm out of tissues. Okay, so that's how that works. Uh, okay, so uh, there was a period of time in the United States when if you had a child who was special needs, and, um, you know, let's say that your child was in a wheelchair, or let's say that your child had an intellectual disability, or let's say that you were one in the 10,000 people who had a child with autism. Um And it became time to take your child to school and maybe you brought your child over to the school or maybe you didn't because you knew that you wouldn't be welcome there. But if you did bring your child over to the school, they would look at you and go, what are you doing here? We don't have a ramp. Uh, we don't have a program, we have teachers here, and we don't know how to deal with your child. And so you would take your child home, and your child would sit there and look out the window and watch all the other kids go to school, and you would have to come up with something on your own to work out, was your child going to be educated? And some folks never were. Um, That's how it was. And it's not the too distant past. We're talking about in my lifetime that the kids that I would have gone to school with to first and second grade, we're talking about those kids. Um, and then some things changed. Um, I, you know, not to take it to a political place, but one of the people that was involved in changing that was Hillary Clinton. That was one of the things that got talked about in the campaign a lot because she was one of the people who went door to door and found these kids and said, why aren't they in school? And a whole lot of people got together, and there, there were several different things that were passed, several different laws that were passed. Uh, there's the Americans with Disabilities Act, and then there is IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um... There was a time, let me just tell you, most of the time when my child was going through his early intervention, it took me forever to learn, oh, if I just spell out idea, then I have I-D-E-A, okay, uh, but it took me forever to know what it stood for, right? Uh, You don't need to know what it stands for. You just need to know it's the law of the land and that these two laws together, I-D-E-A and A-D-A, provide for your child to get a free appropriate public education in IDEA there is language that says that all children are entitled to a free appropriate public education it is the base on which you stand to say um no you're going to have to find a way to educate my child so let's tear this down a little bit it's got to be free okay uh we all know what free means right here's the dicey word appropriate and we're still fighting about that Last year, year before last year, it was last year that the Supreme Court uh, had a new ruling about special education and said, because the ninth court had said that this all the school had to do was, uh, the Latin term was de minimis, the minimum. The minimum, which means that basically you have the person come in and, mm, do you have to house them? Like, is that it? And there there was an argument about how much do you have to do because parents had sued and said, no, you have to educate my child. It says a free appropriate public education, not a babysitting program, right? And by the way, the Supreme Court agreed with parents and threw out the Ninth Circuit uh, decision and said, no, de minimis is not enough. Now, we don't have a new ruling telling us how much is enough, Um, But we do have a ruling, it's the law of the land right now, de minimis, the minimum is not enough. And if you read IDEA, it says that your child is entitled to a free, appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment in which your child has a floor of opportunity at which to access the curriculum. Now, that's a mouthful, right? But it means that appropriate means that they have to be in the least restrictive environment in which they have an opportunity to be successful with the curriculum, not with some other thing that you've made up. Uh, Now, we talk all the time and we're going to have Bonnie on in a few minutes and she talks about what least restrictive environment is. But for FAPE, you need to understand that this is the groundwork upon which you stand when you're arguing anything for your child in the field of education. And that appropriate is going to be the word that you're going to have the most contention over because what you think is appropriate is not necessarily what the special education director of the school thinks, which is not necessarily what the principal thinks, which is not necessarily what the classroom aid thinks, right? And we need to get everybody on the same page for the child's individual education plan to figure out what appropriate is. At the end of your IEP, the school makes this offer to you, and it says, here is our offer of FAPE this is what we're labeling is your free appropriate public education and it'll list services what they think that they can and cannot do what the setting is are they going to be in a mainstream classroom with a one-on-one aid or are they going to be in a special day classroom with a five to one ratio Um, it will list all of those things on it and those are the things that you will have discussions about and sometimes even heated arguments about what is appropriate for the child but just know that this is what your child is entitled to um it you know when when i was coming up through the ranks and fape was explained to me uh i said well appropriate you know that's that's a that's a very interesting word i looked appropriate up in as many dictionaries as i could find until i found one that it said it's effective right? And that's what I went in and argued, that appropriate meant effective. And anytime they would talk about something in the IEP meeting that was like, well, we do this, and I would say to them, is it effective? Do you have studies that show that that's effective? And I just hammered that thing (laughs) over and over and over again. I just kept, you know, like a woodpecker, just got the is it effective? I will tell you that a lot of times parents make the mistake of asking for what's best. Because we all want what's best for our child, right? But it does not say anywhere best. It doesn't say that. And when you look up appropriate in the dictionary, it does not say best. It doesn't say that. And there is nothing from the Supreme Court that says that your child is entitled to the best. That's heartbreaking, right? But don't waste your time arguing it because it's not there. you got to argue appropriate, and you got to argue what appropriate is. If you can find it in the dictionary where I did, I think it was Merriam-Webster that said it was effective, and then you... Uh, we want effective, and, and, and you have proof that this is effective, because I have proof that this is effective, and you go from there. But it's what your child is entitled to, get it, go after it, have that, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, uh, moving on, we always have a question of the day, and our question today, and you can be answering this on Facebook, you can answer on YouTube, you can uh, chat it to us on our website, It's what's your favorite thing about back to school and don't edit, you know, like if, if your favorite thing about going back to school is buying erasers, then that's your favorite thing about back to school. I love the school supplies. I'm just going to be honest. I love, I cannot believe that it's this time of the year and I have not already gone and stocked up on school supplies. I think that I have so much I could open a store myself. Uh, but I do. I love when they have the sales and you can go in and you can buy, you know, spiral notebooks for a penny if you buy 10 of them, you know. I should be put in charge of buying the supplies for a school because I enjoy that so much. Um, but I also love the idea of new. Uh, and in fact, we might as well go right to our topic of the week because, Uh, our topic of the week has everything to do with that. So, Trayvon, go ahead and reveal the topic of the week. Is it stuck? There it is. Um, so our topic this week and what we're going to be talking about as we talk about, um, back to school and some of the things with back to school is fresh starts. I love a fresh start. I was a teacher. I was a college professor teaching theater and acting, but I also, after 9-11, went back into the classroom. I had taught a little bit of English when, in between undergrad and graduate, and I went back into the classroom in a junior high and high school setting to teach English because I needed to do that after 9-11. And, um, and did that for a couple of years before my son was born. But I love the fact that there are all these automatic fresh starts built into school. There's the beginning of the school year. That's a huge fresh start where everything can be different, that a student that has struggled could come in and, and things could be different, right? A teacher that has struggled, it, it's a fresh start. It's, we're going to do things in a new way. It's like, you know, January 1st, but it happens in September. Fresh start. But it's not the only fresh start that school has because every Monday is a fresh start. I, my goodness, when somebody, like, shared that, they were like, no, 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 every Monday is a new opportunity. If you if things aren't working in your classroom and you want to change the rules in your classroom, it's Monday. It's a fresh start. You can start over and try something new. You can... Uh, You know, you you teach something and then you open up a new chapter. Uh, That's great. We learned about Mesopotamia and now we're going to open the new chapter and we're going to learn about, you know, the gardens of Babylonia. Um, Or we read that book and now we're going to open up this new book. School is full of fresh starts. And I love fresh starts. I love the opportunity to be like, okay. What's working? What isn't working? How can we change things? So that's a little bit what I want to talk about today is how you can take advantage of a fresh start uh, with our kids, how we start anew with them and implement new things with the coming of the new school year. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that all week long. But first, we're going to take a break. And then we got to get Bonnie Yates on the phone because she probably thinks I gave up on her. So stick around back with Bonnie Yates. Parent to parent, having a compliant child is one of the greatest things on earth. But frequently we ask ourselves, why doesn't my child listen? Well, here are some tips to help us to get a listening, happy, compliant child. First, we want to make sure that we make compliance worthwhile. Whenever your child does something that's compliant, make sure that you praise them and heap rewards on them that are meaningful to them, things they really want. One of the things that we have to be mindful of is that if the child isn't compliant, we have to praise more often. Just heap it on. If if you say to yourself, there's nothing to praise, they're not doing anything that I want them to do, then ask them to do something that they already want to do. This is a really tricky way of (laughs) being able to praise them. And then of course, the last thing that we wanna do is catch them doing good things when they least suspect it and make sure you keep that praise on because having a compliant child is one of the best things in life. Token economies are a great way to get to good behavior with your child. Welcome back. Private. We are back. gonna talk about private- Hang on one you second, Bonnie. Bonnie and I were having a whole conversation here and I didn't warn her, but we're back. So uh, I, I, let me just introduce. Bonnie Yates is joining us. Uh, good she. Good morning. And she is coming to us from the law firm for, uh, from uh, Hirji and Chow, let me say that properly, and they're an amazing law firm here in Southern California, in Culver City, and Bonnie, tell us a little bit about Hirji and Chow.
0: Hirji and Chow is a six-attorney law firm, we're located in Culver City, California, and we serve uh, individuals with disabilities in a lot of settings, Uh, in the public schools, through the IEP and 504 process in the regional center for the developmentally disabled, for those who qualify, and then we also represent students in college that have higher education issues, and we also do disability-related civil rights litigation. So um, we're able to cover a lot of bases because we have you know different people that do different things. So. Uh, Is we offer people a complimentary consultation if they're in Southern California. So if you want to know more about what we do, our website is wwwlawyer number four, lawyer4children.com, and our phone number is 310-391-0330. We do want everybody to know that legal advice, we're talking to people about their legal rights. If you have a specific legal problem. In your state, you need to go to www.copaa.net, which is um, a good place to start looking for a special education attorney. And we do recommend that if you have concerns, you address them sooner rather than later, because oftentimes uh, early intervention is good on the legal front as well as on the clinical front.
1: Anyway. Well, so, that's a really good point questions. to make. We okay. we do have we do. I, I said that's a really good point to make. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how often we make that point that you know, it, early intervention is key and that it's key in the education setting and it's and it's a, a great argument to be made uh, legally as well as clinically. Uh, so thank you for making that point. And we do have questions, Bonnie. And we also uh, you know there may be other things that you want to talk about. So which would you like to start with? respond to the last thing you said because I, 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 I
0: push out quickly before we get to your questions what I mean by saying early intervention in the legal realm uh, can be important too. If you can get some free advice and learn more about how the IDEA process works, you would be well advised to do that because the times is for example a client will come to me and say number of IEP meetings that were very uh, illegal. And I say, well, did you record those meetings? And they say, no, we didn't. So it's it's gonna be very difficult to prove what people said. The district will disclaim the things that people said. It doesn't matter if there's some documentation, it's not a substitute for knowing what was on the recording. So in California, the rule is that you can audio record a meeting if you give the district uh, one day 24 hours written notice and people are reluctant to do that because when they start to record meetings oftentimes the district will push back and say are you sure you want to do that and you know you're making this adversarial i can't emphasize enough how important meetings uh being recorded is similarly people get in these kind of free and easy communication school and they're parents of young children and they're busy but conversations that you have with somebody that are not memorialized in writing are not going to help you after the fact so that would be alone two things that if they doing and the discussion goes from there and and the hard part for me is i get a lot of people coming in and saying what would be a better district to move to yeah and then i have to explain to them that even in the in the affluent districts in southern california the systemic problems are the same because we've got an underfunded mandate and people that went into special special education to be helpful And then they crash into the fact that there aren't enough resources to go around. And that promotes a kind of behavior that can be misleading and not helpful. And to some extent, you know, parents have to have that experience, that aha experience of realizing that the way the system is described as versus the way the system actually functions are not the same. And that's a hard realization. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is you know frequently I'll have extended conversations with a parent. They'll decide they're going to retain our office to represent them. And then something happens like the district will offer a different placement. Well they'll, there'll be some there'll be some adjustment that's you know, um, attempted. And more times than not that person's situation is still not going to resolve and they're going to come back later but it's always good to know as much as you can about this process and we view ourselves as uh, wanting to fulfill IDEA's mandate which is to create informed parents that can self-advocate so that's why we want to spend time with you because we want you to understand for example that there's a very strong thread running through the IDEA that parents are supposed to receive informed consent so they can participate in an informed way. And that's why I talked last week about prior written notice. So that's, that's why it can be good to collaborate early on. And remember, just because you go and talk to an attorney does not mean you're gonna take adverse action against the school district. That's not what it means. It just means it's a way to get your legal questions answered in a legal manner. If you go and ask the principal what the rules are, I can guarantee that person is going to give a different answer than me. Well, I can't guarantee it, but it would be probable. Anyway, so this first question I'm going to read, it says, I have the opposite problem of so many of your viewers. I don't want an aide for my son. I want him to be at school without an aid in a general education classroom. I think he could do it, just not in a class of 45. That is what his current junior high classes have. Is class size part of environment? Can't we request a smaller class size? School says no, but that is what would make my son more productive. Okay, that's a great question. And to some extent, it um, folds into what I was gonna talk about if we had time later today on the show, which is the trend I'm seeing, a strong trend in the direction of parents placing their kids in private school and suing the district for reimbursement. And a lot of the reason parents are having to do that is because the public schools don't have good programs for specific learning disabilities. And because the public schools don't have really trained um, behavior therapists who can effectively intervene in in the classroom and on the playground and so on. Um, This viewer is asking a related question. She's saying, do I have a right to have a school that has fewer you know, children in it, a classroom that has fewer children in it than a general ed classroom? So the first problem is that in California, the numbers of students in middle school and high school is overwhelming for everyone. The schools are too big. It's overwhelming for the teachers. They can't keep up. It's overwhelming for the administrators. It's overwhelming for the kids. And it produces a feeling, in my view, of alienation rather than being part of something that feels good. Um, So class sizes are too large. And a class of 45 is too large for general ed students. So if your student needs A small class to be successful, a small general ed class to be successful, and he can't be able to succeed in a class of 45, you're right, why would you make him become dependent on an aide if he could function perfectly well in a class of 25? So there's not going to be an, an appropriate special education classroom on his high school or middle school campus that's going to be exactly like a general ed class except for there's going to be fewer kids I mean the districts try things like they'll have a class that has usually called a co-lab it'll be like a lot of general ed students but then some special ed students and then they'll have a general ed teacher and a special education teacher but in, in that environment you'd have to Evaluate that class independently and see whether it was suitable or not. And if he needs a class that's purely general ed and is smaller, and, that, and that's the recommendation that's being made for him by a professional that he worked with who's evaluated him, that's when we end up in the situation where parents are unilaterally placing their children in private schools and suing for tuition reimbursement. Because to get a private to get a student a class of general ed students where the numbers aren't so huge, certain parents are going to the private schools and the, the private school tuition runs anywhere from you know fifteen to sixty thousand dollars and districts are getting pretty upset about the fact that more and more people are opting out of the public school system but they don't want to opt out of the public school system and they don't want to litigate. They want to have, a real continuum of options. And since there isn't, isn't if this is needed to provide faith and it's not available in the public schools, and the only way you can get them in a general ed class is to make it more restrictive by putting an aid in place, then I think that's a good place to start the discussion about how, how we do unilateral private placements. Now, I understand that this is not an option for a lot of people. Because to pay for private tuition and engage an attorney at the same time is a significant financial undertaking. But I don't really have another way right now that I can think of to get that class for somebody. So, so that's, that's my answer to question one.
1: Okay. I like it. Do you want to move on to the next one? And do you want to read it yeah. or do you want me to? I'll read it. Okay. But I want
0: to say I don't like this situation with the private schools at all. I don't like that there aren't enough good non-public schools that are out there. And the reason that's true is because the public schools have strangled the non-public schools and grossly underpaid them, and they can't create a robust program for a child, like, you know, with autism for $125 a day or whatever LUSD pays. I hate telling parents... when par- I, I, I have phone call now after phone call, and parents say, well, what schools are out there? And i say i'm going to go down the list with you and it's slim pickings you know i mean from from san diego to santa barbara there are not enough appropriate schools so um i don't i don't like the trend at all it's very concerning to me and that's and it is clearly what's happening next question uh we are making the decision to take our son out of diploma track it's too stressful But I'm absolutely adamant that he get to attend graduation and walk with the students in a cap and gown. They just don't have to give him a diploma. Do you have a right to that? Yes. That's an accommodation that you're entitled to under Section 504. And I would be very surprised if they treat him differently than the other students and they discriminate against him. Are you being told you can't have him walk? Because generally public schools are very good about that issue.
1: Okay. We've got about three minutes left, Bonnie. Do we want to move on to the next? Yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. Let's see. My son recently hurt his aide when he was having a meltdown. Everyone who was there says it was clearly an accident and the aide got in the way at exactly the wrong moment. The aide is saying it was deliberate. He's threatening to sue the school and me personally. I wasn't even there. He can't do that, right? How do I work to keep my child at his school with this program with all of this? Okay, well, presumably your son has a a qualifying disability of autism, and if he hurt the aide while he was having a meltdown, there's no way that anybody's gonna be able to come after you, okay? I mean, for one thing, the behavior's a manifestation of his disability. You can't punish him for that, but you don't have any individual liability. And the the if the, if the aide is threatening to sue the school, she's probably unhappy in general in her relationship with them. Because once you sue somebody, you're not going to want to work there. So that's sort of, to me, that's between her and the school. But it seems
2: like she's hostile to your child now, and so it's probably going to be appropriate to replace her
0: with somebody else. Um, maybe I can go really fast and finish the last
1: question. Okay. And that would
0: make me really happy. Okay.
1: Can we do it? Yeah, let's do I it. Three,
0: I have a three-year-old with a recent ASD diagnosis. We want to put him in a card program for intensive ABA. School wants us to bring him for eight hours a day. They're telling me I'm a bad parent. I feel like they're trying to intimidate me. What can I do? First of all, they'll never put in writing that you're a bad parent. Second of all, go read the 1987 Lova study and I can talk to you more outside of this forum if you want, but the bottom line is if you have a three-year-old and you're lucky enough to be in a position to do full-time ABA with him, all the research says you should do that. And we can talk about um, what that looks like on another show when we have more time. But I'm never happier than when I get a three-year-old in the office and I tell the parents, forget about public school, do ABA. That's what the research indicates is effective. It's what I did with my son, with, you know, who, who had a very good result. When he was ready, he moved into a small private school with normal peers and he had a one-to-one behaviors with him and he, he began his school journey that way. I just think you have to put their stuff on extinction. You're not a bad parent, you're an inquiring parent. This has worked great for me and a lot of other families who were lucky enough to get early intervention. Eight hours a day at school ain't gonna do much for your three-year-old in my opinion.
1: But eight hours of intensive quality ABA will do a lot. Yes, Yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. Get that ABA. Get that ABA while the brain is plastic. That's okay, right. We gotta go, right? Yes, we do, but uh, let's talk about here, Jin Chow, really quick. Uh, here,
0: Jin Chow, really quick. 310 330. We'd love to hear from you. Next week, we're gonna talk about private
1: placements. Okay, let's do it. Thank you so All much right. for being with us. You have a wonderful hey. day, Bonnie. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, bye. So that was the fabulous Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, and uh, shout out to hereji and Chow we're gonna take a break and then I'm gonna bring you back an amazing mom who inspires me all the time so stick with us
3: Hi there, I'm Lisa Ackerman, welcome to the show. So the goal of today, we're gonna make meatballs. Let's get started. So again, I'm gonna take roughly a pound of my ground organic turkey, and I'm going to add in the secret vegetable. So if your kid doesn't like vegetables, don't cook in front of them, okay? Have them watch a movie or something. But you definitely wanna make sure they're not watching because then they won't eat it. So, and here we go with the egg and our breadcrumbs. I'm just adding salt and pepper to taste. If you think about kids' shapes and sizes, you want to think small, small shapes, small hands. So your oven should be preheating at about 400 degrees. We're gonna kick into the oven here and look at our meatballs. I did flip them halfway through the 20-odd minute so we'll put just like Julia Child's. There's our finished product right there. These are good. Cooking is easy. You don't have to be afraid of it. But we want to hear from you. If you can let us know what recipes are important to you, maybe convert a recipe from a traditional flour or gluten-based to a gluten-free or an allergy-free, we're here to help. So you get to us. You can email us at autismlive at gmail.com. You can reach out on Facebook at facebook.com slash autismlive, or reach out at Taca Now. So, I know you're having a great day. I had a lot of fun cooking with you in the kitchen, but I'll tell you before we end, I gotta have more meatballs. Have a great day.
1: Welcome back to Autism Live. We're so excited. I, I was just saying, this is Amy Gravino, and we're welcoming her back to the show. And I said, Amy, how long has it been since you last been on the show? And what did you tell me, Amy?
2: I I said it's been seven years since I was last on autism live,
1: 2012. And and I nearly fell over. I was like, seven years? But listen, (laughs) this is how great Amy is, that it's been seven years, and I remembered her like it was a week ago. Um, And how remiss am I that we haven't had her on in seven years. Amy is amazing, and uh, we're so excited that she's here with us today. And, Amy, I'm going to let you tell them a lot about yourself but one of the things that I tease them with is that you are the founder of something called ASCOT. Do you want to start by telling was what, what ASCOT stands for and what you do at ASCOT?
2: Absolutely. So ASCOT stands for Autism Spectrum Coaching and Other Techniques. I originally started it in 2010 when I obtained my college coaching certification for students on the spectrum from Bank Street College and Dr. Linda Geller in New York City. Uh, since then, it has expanded um, because what's kind of taken over everything that I do is uh, I give presentations about autism and sexuality for a living, and so what's happened is that I've had people contact me also who are not yet in college or who are thinking about going to college, and or younger people on the spectrum, teenagers who are looking for mentors. So I've added this kind of mentoring facet uh, to Ascot, where I, you know, as an older person, i that not older, but you know, not teenager um, on the spectrum, I will. Hold- speak to people who are, you need some advice, need somebody to talk to who's been there, who knows what it's like. And so that mentoring component has really uh, been a wonderful thing. Um, and the consulting component also is is another thing that has uh, uh, continued on um, in addition to the coaching. And the consulting is where I, I meet with parents, with families, with individuals, school districts, um, anyone who's looking for someone who is an offensive of advocate, um, you know, looking for someone to get input into programs, services, whatever it may be. I do film consulting as well. If somebody needs somebody to come consult on a, a motion picture or a TV show with a character on the spectrum, so uh, Ascot has really, you know, changed quite a bit since I started in in, in 2010. But I'm glad it's got all these other components to it. Uh,
1: it's so wonderful, all the different things that you do, and I and I sort of want to talk about all of them. But let's start with how would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to use your services?
2: Well, if somebody wants to get a hold of me to use my services, they can visit my website at amygravino.com. There's more information there about ASCOT, about my public speaking, Um, and you can also send me an email at at amygravino.com. That's the best way to
1: reach me. I I love that in your personal bio that you include a sentence in it that says, when I was younger, my inexplicably large head kept me from ever wearing a hat. Now I wear many of them. And I love that's the perfect description of what you do. You do wear a lot of different hats, and I love that you put it in that way. You clearly have a wonderful sense of humor. Um, Okay, I don't know which thing to talk about first, but let's go for the meaty, juicy part, which, you know, there are very few people that are talking about the dating and sexuality part of the equation and of course there is that part of the equation that every single person we know maslow's theory that you know sex is a part of life folks and yet it seems like everybody's a little squeamish when we get to talking about sex and dating and sexual relationships with people that are on the autism spectrum it kind of mystifies me everybody gets a little you know, um, so I love that you are speaking about this. In fact, you've got a new book that's coming out, right?
2: Yes, I, I have a book that I've been working on. It's called The Naughty Audie, and it's a memoir of my experiences as a woman on the spectrum of dating and sexuality. Um, so it's not a how-to book. It's not a, a guide. It's an actual memoir of my own experiences. Um, it's, I'm, I'm trying to find a publisher for it, really hopeful. I think, And the great thing about it is, you know, because when I give these presentations, people will come up to me and they'll say, I'm not autistic, I'm not on the spectrum, but I totally relate to that. I went through something just like that. So people, you know, the reason I think why we have such a stigma around talking about sexuality and autism is there's this idea of it being so different that this is something, how can somebody who has this disability, you know, how, how can, what kind of interest do they have in sex? And what, how do we talk to somebody with these challenges about this? and and the truth of the matter is that yes there are differences but there are a lot of similarities as well there are a lot more things that make us alike than make us different when it comes to some of these experiences and so i'm hopeful that through my speaking and through the book i'll be able to show people that um and show that these are important conversations that we really need to have um and so you know, that's that's been kind of the, just the biggest overarching thing since i started doing all this i've, I've been professionally speaking for 13 years, I started doing the sexuality presentations in 2012, and it's just it's just blown up since then so much, because people are suddenly realizing, oh, my child on the spectrum is going to become a teenager on the spectrum, and then an adult, and right. oh, oh crap, I didn't prepare for that. <laughs> um, so,
1: yeah, it's, it's just, it's a very strange thing to me that uh, that everybody, I mean, I feel like in a lot of our world that it, the people's brains have been expanded a little bit. To look at these things in a different way and yet we're really behind on the spectrum so i think publishers need to get on it and publish your book and i think you just need to market it to them the right way amy you need to tell Absolutely. them that it's it's sex in uh, and the city on the spectrum uh because
2: yeah, i described it yes and I, I actually just was interviewed by the washington post a few days ago for a podcast that they're doing they're talking about autism and sexuality and relationships and depictions in the media so i was able to talk about that a little bit um with, with this reporter so i think it's really starting to gain more notice you know um but one of the things that uh, came up in the podcast is this book called the kiss potion which is written by a young woman who is on the spectrum but it, it's a fiction book it's fictionalized um and mine is very much nonfiction, um which i think is why it's been so hard for me to write because when, when i think about these things i don't just remember them i Relive everything I felt when these things happen, and some of them are extraordinarily painful, um, and some of them are hilarious. But it's a uh, yeah, it's a different kind of kind of book, and I, I do. I think publishers do need to get on it. You know, we have obviously publishers who cater more to the autism market, um, and that's great. I think that's wonderful that those publishers exist, but I would like to see mainstream publishers really get on that that bandwagon.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. I want to pivot a little bit to talking about ASCOT and the consulting and, you know, so who, who would be your ideal client for, for parents that are watching right now and that are like facing that moment when their kid is going to go away to college, who's like the perfect client for you and what can you do for them that parents will go, Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I needed. Well, you know,
2: when I, when I think about who a perfect client would be for me, it's, it's hard to say because everyone's experience is going to be different. Everyone, if they're looking at going to college, what they want out of that is going to be different. And it's going to be different not only from other autistic would-be college students, it's going to be different from what their parents are thinking True. as well. So I find this when I when I meet with a client, that what, what their parents think is the most pressing issue isn't always what the client thinks is the most pressing issue.
1: Well, and so for instance, what? I, and excuse me one second, let me clarify. So. So is it better, like, um, I I can think of one friend that her son has said to her, I want to go to college. And mom is like, I don't think it's possible. And I'm telling her, oh, no, 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 You're you're completely barking up the wrong tree here. You absolutely should, you know, he wants to go to college, you should send him to college. So is that a client that you could take and help?
2: I could. I mean, again, it would be, you know, if that client wants to help, if they feel that they... You know what I mean? Because everybody also is at that different point in in their journey where where they feel like they can ask for help. Because when I went to college, there was some services available to me. There was the academic support office, although it wasn't specifically geared to students on the spectrum. I felt ashamed to ask for help. I felt Mm -hmm. like this makes me weak that I need help. I I mean, here I am. I worked so hard. I'm in college. I shouldn't need help. And uh, what I say to clients and I say to people is that Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Asking for help is a sign of strength. Yeah. Because you're acknowledging that you are struggling with something. You're recognizing that in yourself. You're, you have a level of self-awareness and you're doing something about it. So, but not everybody arrives at that point at the same time.
1: Okay. Um, so pretty much anybody who has a child who's on the spectrum that's thinking of going to college or going to college, you they can certainly reach out to you and say, here are our circumstances Can you help us with X, Y, or Z that maybe it's helped finding the college, maybe it's helped finding what the services are that are available at the college that they've been accepted to? Is that a fair assumption to make?
2: Uh, Somewhat, yes. I think what I do is more geared to students who are already enrolled in college. Okay. Like I said, that was was kind of started off, but then I added the component, you know, I added the consulting part, mentoring part to students who are not yet in college or who are... You know, maybe dropped out or looking at re-enrolling. So that that would be kind of a different um, element as opposed to someone who is already in college. I have kind of an outline of the services I provide in my brochure, um, and those are more geared toward folks who are currently enrolled in college. But like I say, I also offer consulting to individuals who are not present in
1: college. Okay, so wonderful. And again, where people can reach you to. Um contract you for services for ASCOT, where can they go?
2: They can go to my website, amygrovino.com. I'm also on social media, Twitter, Facebook. I have a fan page, um, Instagram. And the best way to reach me is email uh, at at com.
1: Okay. And then I wanted to take, because you have such a varied background. You have an MA in Applied Behavior Analysis from Caldwell University from 2010. And, And Amy, like, I just, like, I can't let it go because it's so often that people will write in and say to us that, um, well, let's be honest. There's a lot of folks that are self-advocates who are not big fans of ABA, right? Um, and, And people will write in to us and say, if ABA is so great uh why don't we see more adults on the spectrum talking about that and i always say because they're busy out living their lives uh like they don't want to sit and convince you of anything um but so as a person who refers to herself as a self-advocate you have a, a a master's in aba are you a fan of aba or not a fan of aba
2: Oh well, that's a complicated question. Uh, I mean, I am a fan of the science of EBA. I think that the the idea behind it is it's actually a, a reasonable one, which is just helping people make changes to their behavior that they're choosing to make. That's kind of the basic concept. It's then, however, how it's applied in practice that sometimes you problematic back. And yes. so, when I was working on my degree, you know, I did feel a little bit intimidated, like when I would go to the conferences and because they're so big and there's so many people and um and what I came to realize as time went on is that I'm I'm not there to be like everybody else is there. I'm there to be unique to provide my voice, to provide that autistic voice and perspective and let them know like this is when it's not okay, this this is what can be done better. Um because it is very easy to get caught in that bubble. We all have that it's the reason why I'll never live in Southern California, because it's a bubble, and the weather's all the same. <laughs> and, you know,
1: we like that bubble, Amy. With That bubble I, makes me happy. Uh,
2: I when I go there, it's like I forget the rest of the world exists I, you know, after a day or two. And, and, I, and, and that's what I find happens sometimes in, in the field of ABA, is that when you are in there, you kind of forget that there's you know, the rest of, of that there. And oh, so many times I hear it said, the goal is the dissemination of ABA, the dissemination of the science. But that's not happening if you're not getting out there and communicating with people you know, the positives of this and, 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 and that you're listening to people's concerns and that you're trying to make these changes. And I actually do know other autistic adults who are working in the field. Um, there, there's a Facebook group devoted to them, but obviously they're very reluctant to, to speak aloud because there's such a strong anti-ABA sentiment um, yeah. Among self advocates, yeah. and and many, you know, many feel just completely exhausted trying to not necessarily defend ABA, but explain why we chose to get involved. Yeah. Um. And, and I will say to people, okay, if I'm not there saying all this stuff, then they're not hearing it. So would you rather I, I not be at these conferences? Would you rather I not be, you know, talking to these BCBAs and telling them, you know, what they're doing wrong? Because then look, nope, then they're not going to hear it. So right. somebody has to be out there. Actually doing it and not just talking about it online and, and say, you know airing grievances, which is which is fair and everybody has the right to air their feelings. And I'm not trying to squash anyone's voice, but your know, action has to be the next logical step. So that's why I'm trying to get out there and make changes from within rather than from
1: just without. I really appreciate that. Sometime I'd love to have you come back on the show and do a whole segment on what BCBAs are doing wrong. I- <laughs> That would make me happy, because um, I love some BCBAs, and I come from a point of view where uh, my son is going to be able to go to college because he had good quality ABA, and my son has a wonderful sense of himself. And I didn't. I hear people talk about horror stories with ABA that are not my experience, right? But but it has become my stance that quality ABA and the rights of the individual and the dignity of the individual and, you know, all of those things because I hear these horrible horror stories. Um, so I love an opportunity now. I, I get to speak sometimes as a parent to BCBAs about the things that are important to me and the things that are important to me having a, a child that's about to be an adult. And, and to me, that's wonderful because I think they – I feel like they are excited to hear that point of view and they they want to hear how can I be doing what I'm doing better Most of them, maybe not everybody but most of them I mean,
2: I would say that the number one thing and I wish that BCs would realize this is that what you learn in Graduate school in your in your PhD or in your clinical settings, whatever you're learning there from your professors May not necessarily be what the real world is going to be like Like, you will get into situations Outside of your classroom, outside of your training areas, where you may have to chuck your little rule book out the window because the real world is a very vastly different place from the clinic and from what you learn in textbooks.
1: Amen and to so, that.
2: You know, people need to be adaptable.
1: That's absolutely, of course. Uh, I also see here that you are on the self advocate advisory board for the Daniel Jordan Fiddle Foundation, which I love that organization. I, I love Linda Waller. What a wonderful thing. Uh, they, they do great work. Um, and that you're also on the Awareness Committee for Autism Speaks. So, all these different hats um, that you wear. I, yes? I'm
2: actually not anymore. They, they dissolved that committee.
1: Which committee? For the Daniel J. Fiddle Foundation? No, no, for Autism Speaks. Oh, okay, for Autism Speaks. Uh,
2: but I am on the board of directors a Specialist, you want to say? And I'm on the board of directors. Of the Golden Door International Film Festival
1: of Jersey City. We love and both yes, of those things. We love um, both and of those. Yes, she
2: can, which actually does job training for young women on the
1: spectrum. Well, I and have you had an opportunity? We covered on the show not too long ago the the social club that's in New York City that's just for women on the spectrum. Have you been? I'm sorry, have Felicity you been, Felicity House? Did, yeah, have you had an opportunity to go? I've been a member
2: of the Actually,
1: well, I... look at that. Well, I love that. We we were so excited to hear about that. Um, I especially in I I feel always for the young women and for the families of the young women because um, for so long uh, so many young women were misdiagnosed, not diagnosed, overlooked. There weren't programs for young women, and I'm, I'm glad that people like you are leading the charge, Amy, to make sure that young women are heard, that they have role models, and that we can move this forward for those young ladies. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, we should say, too, that you've got a bunch of different publications, but the best thing to, to do would be to go to your Facebook page, your Instagram page, and your website, correct? Yes,
2: yes. Yes. Uh Facebook.com/backslashAmyProveno fan page. That's my fan page, um, which I try to update with all the latest information and news. Um, I have been published in a lot of different outlets, uh, so I, I, it's hard to kind of collect all those. I'm trying to get them in, you know, order. But um, yes. So, all, but all the information and there's videos, also my presentations on my website, um, and I, as I said, I was just interviewed for that podcast and. I've actually just been invited to be
1: the closing keynote speaker at the
2: annual
1: conference of the Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore. Wow. So I'll be doing that in October. Very cool. Well, Amy, we're impressed as always. Seven years later, even more impressed. Uh, But come back and see us again sooner. Let's not wait seven years next time.
2: Yes, yes too long and maybe if I get out to Southern California there we can see
1: each other in person that'd be awesome that would be really wonderful we thank you for being with us and please stay in touch I will thank I can't so wait much. to read the naughty audie.
2: thank you thank and
0: better you.
1: I can't wait for the film that's a I, film I, I That's a, film. One show.
2: I'm gonna
1: do a one woman show fabulous fabulous we'll bring it out to LA we'll <laughs> I love it alright thank you so much Amy Thank you. Good luck to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was the wonderful Amy Gravino. And didn't I promise that she would be great? Absolutely fabulous. I understand that we are out of time. Um, but we're going to be back tomorrow with a best of show. And then we are back on Wednesday and guess who we have back in the studio on Wednesday. Yes, that's right. Uh, Dr. Doreen Grampuche is back in the studio with us on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, do you know who we have on the show on Thursday? We have, uh, Joanne Lara and Susan Osborne from Autism Works Now and, um, autism movement therapy. It's like I've had a a brain bubble. Um, but so that will be really cool. And then I don't remember who we have on let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy next week. I can't remember, but it'll be great. I promise you. So join us, uh, with all of that. Uh, so, uh, we'll see you back tomorrow for best of until then give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.